0: Let's pray together. Father, we just welcome you here tonight in our presence. Lord, we just desire that you would convict our hearts of this area of truth, that you would answer questions that we may have. You tell us that your Holy Spirit is what leads us and guides us into your truth. So would you send your Holy Spirit? Father, you know each of us. Lord, you know what we're thinking about right now. Lord, you know the day that we've had, the day that we're gonna have tomorrow. The numbers of hairs on our head, Lord, the exact seat that we'd be sitting in tonight. We just ask that you would grab our hearts that tonight would be a special night in our lives with you. We know there's a, a real enemy, a real battle that's taking place, Lord. So would you protect us from the attack of the enemy? Would you have your way in our midst? In Jesus' name, amen. What is truth? The most important question that we could possibly ask. Some would say, live for the moment. That's truth. You've only got one life, so make sure that it counts. Some would say, follow your heart. You noticed that in the video tonight, that truth must reside inside of us. And so, I must follow my heart. Others would say, truth is, I'm the master of my own destiny. Others say, love is all you need. If if it's loving oh man, then that must be all that you need. That love is the definition of truth. If it feels good, do it. I mean, that's how a lot of people are living. That's how a lot of people are defining truth is, man, if it feels good, then I'm gonna do it. That there is no wrong, that there is no right. This question has been asked before. Chance mentioned it. Jesus in the trial, in his trial, right before his crucifixion, Pilate was there the judge, the one ultimately that was going to decide the fate of Jesus Christ? And he asked this question, what is truth? I read to you, Pilate therefore said to him, are you, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I've come into the world. That I should wear, bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, "What is truth?" And when he'd said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, "I find no fault in him at all." So here Pilate, he stops right in the middle of this trial of Christ and he asks the question, "What is truth?" But he really didn't want to know the answer. He walks away, And says, I find no fault in him. But the pressure of the people was so great on his mind that he went ahead and offered Jesus to be crucified. And my challenge to all of us tonight is would you stick around and ask this question, is what is truth for 40 minutes? If you know Christ as your savior, engage with me. I think it's an important question for us. If you don't know the Lord, I'm so glad that you're here. And I know it took a lot for you to get inside of the doors of the church tonight. And maybe you're already kind of checked out at this point in the service. And would you re-engage and just examine with me what is truth? And I think a lot of times we don't want to honestly look at this question because if there is absolute truth, then I have to decide what I'm going to do with it. Because as long as there's not absolute truth, then I can be my own boss. I can be my own God, if you would. I can be in charge of my own destiny. So there's four things that we're gonna talk through tonight. And the first is, truth must be defined. Don't you agree? We've got to have a definition of truth. There's the dictionary definition, which is conformity to a fact or actuality, a statement proven to be or accepted as true. So that's how the dictionary gives the definition of truth. Jesus made this bold claim. He really defined truth for us in John 14, verse 6. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And notice what he said there. He didn't say, I am a truth. He said, I'm the truth. He's claiming to be absolute truth. So he gives us the very definition of truth in and of himself. Some would say there's no truth. Maybe that's where you're coming from tonight. And you'd say, there really is no absolute truth. And this falls into a mindset of everything's relative. Everything is subjective. And this is the culture that we live in for many, many people is they really don't believe that there is an absolute truth and there is an absolute error. This is a discussion that's been going since the beginning of time, hasn't it? God created Adam and Eve. He put them in the garden. He says, this is the one thing I don't want you to do. I don't want you to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, here comes Satan He's in the serpent, begins to talk with Eve, and he begins to challenge truth. Has God really said? Is there absolute truth? And here's knowledge apart from God. God's trying to keep something from you, so why don't you go ahead and eat this forbidden fruit? So let's go down this road a little bit and think, well, what if truth is relative? What if there is no absolute truth? Let me ask you a question tonight. What color is the stop sign? well, I think it's green. It's absolutely green, and if you think it's red, well, that's your opinion, and I have my opinion that it's green. Now, clearly, I'm wrong because a stop sign is red, isn't it? It's not green. And for us to really stop and begin to think, well, is everything relative? It just doesn't add up you might come to me tonight and you say, I don't really believe in red lights. They're just too constraining for me. I've got a V6 in my car, and it's a hot rod, and it loves to go, and so I'm not going to yield to red lights. Well, we'll come visit you in the hospital and pray for you. (laughs) And may end up even having to do your funeral, right? Just because you don't believe in red lights, it doesn't cancel out the truth of red lights. Maybe in this idea that everything is relative, you say, you know what? I don't believe in the law of gravity. It's way too constricting. What goes up must come down. That, that, that doesn't sound right to me. I'm going to test the limits. Then once again, where is that going to lead to? Consider this statement. There is no absolute truth. That's an absolute statement. If you don't believe in absolute truth, you do believe in a absolute truth, and that is that everything is relative. If everything's relative, then what's really wrong with what Hitler did? and annihilating a group of people. He was following what he thought was to believe to be right. I think deep down inside of all of our hearts, we know that there is a right and a wrong. If somebody came to you while you're here tonight, and they broke into your house, and they stole all the stuff, and they said, it's right. I don't have anything. You've got a lot. And so... It's not wrong for me to steal from you. It's kind of a Robin Hood story. You'd probably say, hey, wait a second, that was wrong. You should have asked. You can't just break in and take things that don't belong to you. If somebody murders your brother, and they say, well, in my mind, it was right. See, in some way, I think relativism hugely hits the fan and hits the wall. There has to be something more. So to define truth is to look at the words of Christ that he is the truth. The next thing to consider is many claim to have the market on truth. Isn't this the case? So many people will say, well, I know what absolute truth is. Some will say truth is relative. But think about some of the people in history that have claimed absolute truth. Joseph Smith, who started Mormonism, thinks that he had a vision from God. And he claims absolute truth and many people to this day follow Mormonism. We look at Buddha, you know. He's a guy that absolute truth. Muhammad, absolute truth. And the list goes on and on. And most individuals believe that what they are following is right in their life. They've formed their own sense of truth. And you come to them and say, hey, why are you doing this? And why are you doing that? And they've, they've formed it. So, if we define truth, and there's many that are claiming truth, then we have to have a test for truth, don't we? I mean, could everybody be right? Because this is a popular idea, right? You, you guys know that this is a, a popular idea. It really doesn't matter what you believe in as long as you have faith. If you hike Pikes Peak, there's many trails. You can go on... Bar- right there. We should do that more often. You can hike on Bar Trail, right, which is about 25 miles. You can go to the Craigs, which is about half the distance, 12 miles. There's several routes. And a lot of people look at truth this way. As long as you pick something, as long as you believe in a higher power, it's all going to lead to God. But again, we're not talking about different variations of truth. We're talking about absolute truth, the truth, And these claims about truth, they're contradictory to each other. They say different things about God. They say different things about salvation. Many will say that you have to work your way to salvation. That it doesn't come through Christ. That it doesn't come through his work upon the cross. Many have come up with their own form of Jesus Christ. So north is always north. It's never south. And when we're talking about issues of truth, not all of these claims for truth can be right. So we have to come and say there has to be a test. There's got to be a logical test when it comes to our faith. And when you become a child of God, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't check your brains at the door. You don't go, "Oh, oh, oh, I'm a Christian. I don't just stop thinking. It doesn't have to make any sense to me. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the evidence of things not seen. So it's not seen, but there's evidence for it. And I think that you can use the mind that God has given to you and look through a logical perspective for the evidences of truth. So we're going to look now, this is our third point, is let's put truth to the test. You know, first was this definition of truth. The second is many have claimed the market on truth. Now, this is the most important of our time together is let's put truth to the test. Is there evidence of truth? One of the evidences for the fact that there is truth, that there is a loving God who created us, who knows what's best for us, is conscience. Is conscience. And you're saying, what in the world are you talking about? Let me read to you conscience That certain something within us that tells us the world should be a certain way. That some things are right and some things are wrong. Everybody has a conscience. In every culture, you can ask that culture, is murder wrong? And they will say yes. There isn't a culture on the planet that says, you know, we think just going out and killing people, that's the right thing to do, killing innocent people. Every culture believes that rape is wrong. For someone to be violated, they believe that it's wrong. When you sit down with three-year-olds, they know that it's wrong to lie. There's something inside of them that when they tell a lie, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. And how could that be if there's no truth out there? If everything's relative, now please use your mind and go, okay, if, if there really is no truth, then why is it that when everyone is born, there's a conscience inside of them? Now can you sear that conscience? Absolutely. Because you do something once and your conscience goes, uh, uh," you know, you get that feeling inside. You do it twice, a little bit less. By the time you do it 20, 30, 40 times, you felt good about it. At one point you were convicted by it. This is mind blowing to me. You can go to these remote civilizations where They don't have much contact with the outside world and you will find that conscience exists inside of those people. In Romans 2, verse 14 and 15, it says this, For when Gentiles, non-Jewish people, unbelievers, who do not have the law, by nature do things in the law, these although not having the law are a law to themselves who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness between themselves, their thoughts, accusing or else excusing them. God has placed a conscience inside of everybody. And that conscience is evidence that there is a loving God who has designed us. Another evidence for truth, an absolute truth, is science. And you're saying, oh, now you're barking up the wrong tree. That science is not an evidence of absolute truth. What is the purpose of science, if it's done correctly? To discover what the laws are through things that you can prove. If there was nothing that existed, there would be no reason to study science. Are you following me? What has been the conclusion of science? Well, the law of gravity. It's something real that exists. What's a conclusion of science? The second law of thermodynamics. What is that if it's been a while since you've been in school? That means you can organize your garage, and six weeks later, for sure six months later, it will be an absolute mess. That's one of the reasons I have a hard time believing in evolution, because everything that we see from a scientific mind... From observation, true science is based on observation. We see things going from order to disorder, even genetics, especially genetics. Mutations in genetics never result in greater things. I've got four kids, and if evolution were true with each child, especially the third and the fourth, I would have grown two more sets of arms. I got one for the first child, second child, third child, fourth child. (laughs) But mutations don't work that way. Mutations don't improve us as creation. One of my buddies in high school, he was born with a small hand. He called it the, the baby hand. That was a mutation that he was born with. It wasn't something that was better. It was something that was difficult for him to deal with throughout his life. So let me read this to you about science. Science is simply the pursuit of knowledge, the study of what we know and the quest to know more. Therefore, all scientific study must by necessity be founded upon the belief that there are objective realities existing in the world, and these realities can be discovered and proven. Without absolutes, what would there be to study? Does that make sense? How could one know that the findings of science are real? In fact, the very laws of science are founded on the existence of absolute truth. Another proof and evidence of truth is seen that inside of man, inside of all of us, we have this desire to know the fundamental questions. Where did I come from? Where am I going when I die? And why am I here? And philosophy tries to discover those questions. Religion tries to discover those questions. False religions don't come up with the right answer apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus is the truth that does answer those questions. We came from him. Those that believe in him have eternal life. And while we're here, we live for him. But if there was no truth, then why would worship be such a big deal? Inside of us, we're created to worship. We're longing for. I'm trusting that tonight, the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts to show us our need for Jesus Christ. And you know it. Deep down in here, you know that something's missing. You know, middle school and high school students, you know maybe there's gotta be more than just getting getting good grades. There's gotta be more than that guy, that gal, and they're saying, there's something missing in my heart and my life. And for some, it's work. And it's this pursuit that you're on, this rat race. And you came hungry tonight because you know that there's those questions that are inside of you. We have science that points to an absolute truth. But then we also have just this spiritual side of us. And We go, how do we have a conscience? And how do we have this spiritual journey that we're on? It's because there is a loving God who has created us if there's a moral law there has to be a lawgiver if there's laws of science there has to be someone who set that up if there's a need for us to worship there has to be one who has created us that way and again don't take my word for it look at it through your own lens and your own perspective why is there conscience why is there laws in science Why is there this desire that has been put inside of man to worship? Many atheists have come to know Jesus because they can't shake this wondering in their heart. What if I'm wrong? What if there really is a God? And if there's a design, what if there is a designer? So we've talked about how Jesus claims absolute truth. So let's put Jesus to the test. How do we know that Jesus is right when he says that he's the truth since there's so many that have made this claim? Jesus claimed to be the creator. In John 1 verse 3, he says, all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. Now that's a big claim. Here's Jesus, Jewish carpenter, walking on the face of the earth. He says, look, I've made everything and there's not anything that was made apart from me. So now we have to look at the intricacy of design and go, is there a designer? Nobody in their right mind would get any type of cell phone. You pick your favorite. There's this rivalry between Mac and PC. And, you know, there's some on the PC side and there's some on the Mac side. And it just goes back and forth and back and forth. But there's a designer of both, isn't there? The iPhones, the Droids, the Samsungs. You pick your brand Everybody looks at this phone and goes, there's a design here, there has to be a designer. You can take a phone and you can break it up into thousands of pieces, put it into a Tupperware, get some robot to shake it for a million years. I don't care if you even call it billions of years, you can call it 20 billion years and you can sit around if you've got 20 billion years and if you don't see anything happening after five years and you still have the faith to think that something will happen after billions of years, then you just keep watching and it's never gonna come together as a phone, never. It's at, things don't go from chaos to a place of order. And yet when it comes to the intricacies of the design that God has given us, we go, there can't be a creator. Think for just a moment. God, Jesus claimed to be the creator. Look around at creation, how vast it is. We're in one galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy. There is between 100 billion and 400 billion stars. That's mind-blowing in just one galaxy. They estimate there's just as many planets in our galaxy as stars. The Hubble spacecraft has given us great images and insight into our galaxy, but has also given us into the universe, and we can't see to the end of the universe. It's that vast, and they estimate now that there's at least 176 billion galaxies. We're just one galaxy, but nobody knows how many galaxies there are. Do you feel small all of a sudden? Like, here I am, you know, on October 2nd in my little life, But so you have the vastness of God's creation, but you get down into the cellular level of creation. In the 1830s was the first microscope. So we're living in these times of these advanced spacecrafts and telescopes, the first telescope, and they start to get things under the telescopes and they see these cells, but they don't know that they're called cells. And science begins to discover all of this order inside of all human life, all human life, And all life, period, has cells. All life has cells. It's the foundation of life are these cells. And these little tiny cells are so intricately designed that they're communicating with one another. You need to do this. Hey, he just caught a cold. We need some more of these cells. You know? And they're doing their job and they're just doing their thing. How did that all happen? Somebody had to create us. The Bible tells us we're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're designed by God. A loving God puts your life together for a distinct purpose. A famous atheist by the name of Anthony Flew, when he was in his elderly years, he changed his position and he wrote a book called There is a God. And it rocked the atheist community to the core because he was such a a radical atheist, and wrote so many books. And he recanted his position for one primary reason, because of what we know of DNA. And when he looked at the intricacies of DNA, he could no longer hold this position of evolution. Jesus claimed to be the creator. When you look at creation, I think it demands that there is a creator. But Jesus also claimed to be God. He claimed to be God. In John 1.1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. He's saying he's in the beginning, and he is God. Now, how do we trust that he's telling us the truth? One of the primary ways that we can trust that Jesus is God is because he predicted his own death, and he predicted his own resurrection. And he didn't take his own life. It wasn't suicide. Apart from suicide, can you predict your own death? Can you say, you know, this is when I'm going to die? But on top of that, it wasn't just when he was going to die, but how he was going to die, that he was going to be crucified, that he was going to be mocked, that he was going to be scourged. And then he said, three days later, I'm going to raise myself from the dead. Who has the power to do that? Of all the people in human history, past tense and future, how many of them have raised themselves from the dead? Absolutely none. And we know that the resurrection is not just some fairy tale like the Easter bunny, right? It's not that at all. It's historically proven the fact of the resurrection. And so Christ proved his claim that he's God. He backed it up by dying upon the cross and rising again. The truth claim of Jesus and the truth claim of the Bible is clearly seen in fulfilled prophecy, What's prophecy? It's what Jesus just did. I'm going to die at this point. This is how I'm going to die. And then I'm going to rise again. In the Bible, believe it or not, there's 2,500 prophetic statements. 2,500. Of those 2,500, 2,000 of those have been fulfilled. If just one prophecy was fulfilled, it would be one in 10 odds. But for 2,000 to be fulfilled to the letter, it's this. It's 10 to the 2,000th power. That's one with 2,000 000 zeros after it. One, 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 two thousand times all the way over to you guys, right? 2,000. That would be the chance and Jesus fulfilled it. And I encourage you tonight to really examine the Bible. Does it stand up? And as you look at prophecy and you see the specifics of how it's fulfilled, it points that Jesus is God, that he has fulfilled his claim. Just a few in Daniel 9, verse 25 and 26, 500 B.C., 500 years before Christ, it was predicted that Jesus Christ would be cut off, that the Messiah would be crucified. It was fulfilled. In Micah 5, verse 2, that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, this obscure city. It was exactly fulfilled. Zechariah chapter 11 predicted that Jesus would be portrayed for 30 pieces of silver. That's exactly what happened. In Psalms 22 and Psalms 34, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was predicted 400 years before crucifixion was even invented. Go out and do the research. Go out and look at it for yourself and you'll see that Christ backed up his claim of being God by fulfilled prophecy seen in his word. So here's our last point tonight. Is how am I going to respond? How am I going to respond? If you don't know Christ as your savior and you never opened your heart up to him, Allow the Holy Spirit just to begin to work in your mind and in your heart and begin to think, hey, am I going to accept the truth of Jesus Christ? And you may feel like truth and absolute truth, it's, it's such a heavy topic. And this whole night just sounds so heavy. And there is a heavy aspect to truth, but this is what I want you to hear about truth. This is the nature of truth is a loving God who created this world, who created you, who knit you together in your mother's womb. There's nobody like you, loved you so much that he sent his son to die upon the cross for your sins and my sin. And if we don't understand that we have a disease, then we won't desire the remedy. And this disease is not something that got passed on to us, that we had no part to play in it. We've all sinned. Sin is to miss the mark of perfection. It's to lie, to steal. It's to be angry in our heart. It's to have lust in our heart. We very quickly come to a place of where we need God's grace and we need God's forgiveness. It's just of God for him to give us the punishment of of our sins, which is eternal separation from him. But him and his love, he gave his son for us. So all those who believe will be saved. And I want to give you an opportunity in just a few minutes, and I want you to prepare your heart if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, that you would accept that truth. And it'll impact you forever for eternity, but it'll also impact you forever right now. Because you're going to be in a very frustrated place if you're going through life thinking there's no red lights and everything continues to be a traffic jam. And if you go through this life thinking, well, Jesus doesn't exist. Jesus hasn't died for me. Jesus isn't true. Then your life is going to continue to hit resistance. And you're going to be impacted for eternity. But also Jesus described it that he came to give us life and to give it More abundantly, and for those of us that are children of God, maybe we thought tonight, "Hey, you know, this isn't this is an outreach, what it is." But I think there's a challenge for us as well in this question of what is truth. I'm going to give us a chance to respond tonight as well. Is it so easy for us as Christians to be selective truth followers, and we get all down on a culture that's relativistic? That says there is no right and wrong, and I can just choose what's right for me. But how many times do we approach the Bible going, This is kind of like a box of chocolates, you know? I like this one over here. Jesus loves me, and He forgives me of all my sins, and He's going to never leave me or forsake me. But I don't really like this part over here where Jesus says He doesn't want to have anything to do with pornography, He doesn't want to have anything to do with sexual sin. He doesn't want to have anything to do with with anger. He doesn't want to have anything to do with covetousness. And we don't really want to accept God's definition of how life should be lived. If God's a loving God, and he's set up a world that says it's going to exist like this, and man, you guys right here, this section right here, young people, this is so important for you, is what are you going to choose? Are you going to define truth for yourself? Are you going to choose at a young age to say, I'm going to be a follower of Christ? Are you going to accept what the Bible says about sex or what you think about sex or what the world says about sex? Are you going to say, I'm going to be committed to truth? Absolutely. I'm not going to be a selective truth follower. Maybe in our lives we go, you know, I really can't let worry go. I'm going to be a selective truth follower when it comes to worry. God tells me not to worry, but it's not hurting anybody. It's just et- internal in my, my heart. Oh, not true. It's affecting the relationships around us. It's inhibiting us from that place of being able to love. And this is what I believe is happening for us as believers. Is we have to be very careful that we don't adopt a cultural Christianity. Because there's a lot of people out there that are saying, Hey, I'm following Jesus. But when it really comes down to it, it's just a Jesus buffet. I'm gonna take the part of Jesus that like that I like that is comfortable for me, but the parts of Jesus that I don't like, I'm not gonna study those parts of Scripture. I mean imagine with my Bible tonight, if I just kinda of started going in here and started cutting out some verses. I'd hope you'd be running for a new church right? But that's what we do in our lives sometimes by the way we behave. We're all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. I go, I don't really want to deal with that. I don't really want to look at that. And if we're not careful, we can even start to redefine Scripture to fit something that's convenient for me, that fits me. So I'm going to ask that we would consider tonight if we would make a commitment to follow truth, completely and not be selective truth followers. And I think we're going to be tested in our lifetime, in our generation, on this. We're going to have to make decisions to say, am I going to go the direction of what culture says, or am I going to go the direction of what God's word says? And for some, this is going to begin a new journey of really finding out what God says. And not taking anybody's word for it, but reading God's word for yourself, Genesis to Revelation saying, if I'm committing to follow this, I've got to know what it means. In closing, picture a loving God, a loving father, maybe close your eyes. And he's there going, oh, I'm going to create the universe. I'm going to create it so vast that they won't even make telescopes till 2000 that will even become close to seeing it. And then they won't even become close to knowing the end of the universe. Oh yeah, I'm going to create that. And I'm going to create redwood trees that are so big when they have cars, they can drive their cars through the redwood trees. And I'm going to, I'm going to create the ocean and The ocean's so vast and the sun's going to set on one side and come up on the other side of the world and it's going to rise on on the other side. I'm going to create sound and the speed of sound. And someone's going to discover that in sound you can put it into a telephone line and you can talk to somebody in Kansas from Colorado Springs. And God's just creating all these things and all these things and he's watching his creation. those that he's designed and they just keep sinning and rebelling and not wanting anything to do with God. And so the father's like, man, I can't just tolerate this sin. I can't dwell in the presence of this sin because I'm holy. So it was his intent all along, even at creation. He knew that Adam would sin. He knew that we would sin. That he would send his son. And look at the cross for just a moment. Because when Pilate asked this question of what is truth, where did he go from there? He became even more and more cruel. He committed murder against a whole group of Samaritans when they went to worship on Mount Gerizim to the point where he got called back to Rome in account for his actions, the ultimate going back to the principal's office. And he drops off the pages of scripture and he drops off the pages of history and we don't know how his life ends. Jesus walks away from this trial, He's bound, he's spit upon, he's mocked, He's crucified, and he hung upon the cross and in love, he said, "Father, forgive them, for I know not, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them." Amazing that he would st- extend forgiveness. So we're going to go to prayer. And first I'm going to give a challenge out to believers and especially middle school and high school students, but all of us. Maybe you've made this commitment before in your life, but I'm gonna ask us to examine in our lives once again and actually raise our hands before God and saying, God, I'm committing to walking in your truth. And if there's an area of our lives where we've been a selective truth follower, where we've X'd out this area of God's truth, that we would be honest with God tonight and we would stand up and we would say, I'm in. I'm counted for. Joshua had that moment with the children of Israel. He says, You guys decide if you want to serve the Lord. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. In great battles, there's a general that calls men to action. He says, Are you in in this battle? And we have a truth battle. And that's what I believe the Spirit of God is saying to us tonight. Are you in? Are you awake spiritually? Are you at the Jesus buffet? Are you at the whatever fits me? I'm going to be relative with Jesus. No, you don't be relative with Jesus. You take them all or you don't take them at all. You know what I'm saying? He's that good. And he's got a plan for our lives. So that's the challenge to believers. And then the invitation to someone who doesn't know Christ is I'm going to give you a chance to raise your hand and say, you know what? I believe that Jesus is truth, that he's God, that he died for my sins and rose again. And I'm going to ask him to come into my heart and my life. And if we could just wait upon the Lord together and try to minimize distraction, go to God's throne together. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've created us, that you've designed us to be in relationship with you. We think of, and we can just barely begin to scratch the surface, all that's in your heart and your mind. Father, and Lord, I just admit it's so easy to be a selective truth follower, to kind of go, well, this fits me, and I like this, and I understand this, but I don't like this, and I don't understand that. Father, would you forgive us? And tonight, as a church family, we just want to respond to you, and if the Lord's really moved in your heart, and you're there, and you're saying, you know what, I want to be counted for. I'm committing myself as a believer. I'm already the child of God, but I'm committing myself To follow truth, God's truth. I just ask that you'd raise your hand and leave it up, and we'll just cry out to the Lord together. God, you see the hands in the sanctuary of my brothers and sisters in Christ that are identifying to you that they're going to follow truth. Well, we don't know where that will take us in our lives, we don't know the sacrifice that will come with that. But, Father, we know you're good that you didn't put in your word things that would steal life from us but give life to us. And would you just show us right now those areas in our lives where we have been a selective truth follower. And Lord, tonight we commit to knowing your truth and following your truth. Father, would you help us? Would you strengthen us in that? Would you give us your Holy Spirit in that? We can't do it on our own.